together. Father, what a good reminder for us this morning that you are truly faithful. As we light a candle that signifies hope, that's why we can have hope, is because you have time and time again proven that you are faithful, that you're true, that you're trustworthy. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word right now, that um, you would help me make that abundantly clear, that we would magnify the faithfulness of our God. Lord, thank you that we get to praise you from the rising sun um, to its setting. We get, we get to praise you when the AC works, when it doesn't. You're worthy of our praise. I pray that even in the midst um, of it feeling hot in here, that you would help us to put our eyes on you. We're thankful for you. As we came out of Thanksgiving, we're thankful, grateful for you, grateful for what you've done, grateful for who you are. Reminded in your word from 2 Corinthians 4, it says, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's the cry of our heart, Lord, that your grace would extend to more and more, ultimately resulting in more thanksgiving to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all go have, have a seat. Hey, thanks for bearing with us this morning. I, I meant it. Um, if you think you're hot, just know that I am a chronic sweater, okay? And um, I did text my wife at 7.30 this morning and say, hey, I need you to bring a second shirt for second service because no telling what I'll look like. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Now, if, you're, if you've been with us for a while, you're like, what? Why are we turning to Isaiah? Because since August the 7th, we have been meticulously walking through the book of Acts, right? But if you were, weren't here with us last week, I made the announcement that we're going to be taking a break. We're going to take a break in the book of Acts over the next four Sundays, and then culminating on our Christmas Eve service, we're going to be walking through the church tradition of Advent, specifically today, looking at what is hope. And, and I love that we're doing this um, because it really does for me. It, it creates a little bit more meaning for this season. And that's our heart for you. That's why we have these devotions. We pray that as you enter into this holiday season, into this Christmas season, that the, the adoration of Christ would be stirred in your heart and that you would walk out of this really feeling the hope of Christ. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, let me give us a little bit of history just around Advent. Um, I didn't grow up in a tradition where this was celebrated. Um, but it means a lot to me now, now that I kind of know the history. I won't go too deep, but since the 4th century A.D., right? So about 380 A.D., that's a long time ago, y'all. We have um, been celebrating, Christians, for the most part, have been celebrating Christmas on December the 25th. Although people who began to celebrate Christmas on the 25th, the 4th century A.D. Christians, and scholars today don't believe that Jesus was actually born on December the 25th, right? That just blew your mind, didn't it? Jesus' birthday is actually not December the 25th, probably more like mid-September. So why then, for centuries, have we chosen to commemorate the birth of Christ on December the 25th? I'm glad you asked. Okay, in the Northern Hemisphere, December tends to be the darkest month of the year, right? December 25th, the 25th day of December, tends to be the December solstice, the darkest day of the darkest month of the year. So the early Christians thought, what better way to commemorate the incoming light of the world than to celebrate that when the world is at its most darkest point? Isn't that beautiful symbolism? So we, in around the 1600s, so that's been celebrated since the early 4th century, since the 1600s, we've been adding this, this thing called the Advent wreath to our worship. Now again, lighting a candle, it's just a symbol. Much like baptism, much like us taking communion, there's no, there's no magic to it, right? It's just, it's just a symbol, 
But it's a beautiful symbol. Week one, we light the hope candle. Week two, we light the peace candle. Week three, the joy. Week four, the love. And then on our Christmas Eve service, we'll light the white candle in the middle, which is the Christ candle. And I love that symbolism. Because once again, every week we light this, as we get closer and closer to the arrival of Christ, as we get closer and closer to Christmas morn, the light begins to work with one another and begins to glow brighter and brighter. Isn't that beautiful symbolism? So that's what we want to look at this week is is hope. Hope burning bright in the bleak darkness of our world. Christmas story will provide hope. So let me kind of transition then into our sermon. Isaiah 7, if you have your your, your finger marked there. I want you to hold that place, Isaiah 7. Now I want you to flip to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be primarily in Matthew chapter 1, but towards the end of our time together, we'll go back to Isaiah chapter 7. And as you turn there, I want to, I want to tell you that um, I joke about it all the time, but my love and affinity for University of Georgia football began long before I attended there. Okay, Long before I graduated from there, uh, I was born into that affinity for our family. As a kid, my dad had um, season tickets. Me and my brothers would often attend games with him in Athens. And around age five or six, for each of me and my other two brothers, um, my dad would take us to Athens just one-on-one. So instead of all of us going, it would just be a father-son time. And I can't remember exactly how old I was, probably five or six, when it was my, it was my Saturday. Dad woke me up, took me to my great aunt's house that morning, loved spending time with my great aunt, and said, hey, spend here a couple hours. I got to go pick up a client from the airport, get him to his hotel, and I'll, I'll be back, get you. We'll head over to Athens. Y'all didn't sit. I did not sit at my great aunt's house. I vividly remember standing at the screen door. That's the kind of raising I had. Okay, with screen door, standing there, staring out, just waiting for my dad to get there, like eagerly anticipating his arrival of coming to pick me up. And y'all know, if you've ever waited like that, you know, every time you hear a car, you're like, this is it. You know, this is it. Like just the anticipation kept building for me and kept building for me. And then hour came, hour went. Kickoff came. My great aunt turns the TV on, and I, I just can't, I refuse it. I refuse to believe that this is what's happening here. I, I go back to the screen door, and I'm just staring, and, and lo and behold, um, we ended up missing that game. And what I found out just a couple hours later was my dad's boss had a greater expectation of his morning. Instead of him just picking a client up, he had to entertain a client. And if you ever get the chance to meet my dad, you know, hey, he hated that. B, he would much more prefer, you know, to take me to the Georgia game. And we ended up going just a week or two later, but y'all, as a five, six-year-old kid, that was hurt. That was disappointing. No, 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 that was, that was devastating. Proverbs 13, 12 reads this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You ever read that? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. My hope had been deferred that morning. Have you ever experienced anything like that? How many of you ever had your hope deferred, been disappointed by someone to the point where you're despairing, you're devastated, you're disappointed? What I want us to see in the Christmas story is this, this morning is, is that we serve a God that's different, a God that will never let you down, that he will always be faithful, he's utterly trustworthy, that we can put our hope in him. And if we do put our hope in him, our hope would never be deferred. In fact, our hope will only be delivered. Our hope is going to be delivered, and that's what we want to see in the Christmas story. But what is hope? When we use the word hope, I think we use it, I think we use it wrongly, right? We say things like this. We say, I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope the AC kicks on, right? I hope Georgia Bulldogs keep winning. You may not say it, but I, I promise you're, some of you are thinking, I hope this guy wraps it up soon, right? <laughs> But that's not hope. That's not the biblical definition of hope. That's just wishful thinking. That's just us wishfully thinking that something we want is going to come to pass. And if you think that I can contain myself to seven minutes or less, 
That's just wishful thinking. That's, that's not hope, okay? The biblical definition of hope is this. It's, it's a confident expectation. It's that what I'm expecting, I, I am sure that there is a confident expectation that it's going to come to pass. And as we open up this Advent season, looking at the Christmas story, I want us to see that we can have a confident expectation in God, that he delivers hope. So how? How does he deliver hope? Here, here's the type A note takers, two big points for us this morning. Hope delivered in the person of Jesus and hope delivered in the promises of God. Okay? The person of Jesus and the promises of God. Let's read Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Hope delivered in the person of Jesus. Y'all, before he spoke his first word, before he took his first step, before Jesus performed his first miracle, what we see in the Christmas story, we get a glimpse as to who he is. We get a glimpse into the person of Jesus. Who is he? What was he? What is his essence? And what we're going to see is the doctrine of the incarnation. Okay? And I just said the word doctrine, and half of you were like, no, no, no. Let's not go there. That's not for me, right? I'm not a theologian. Take a deep breath, okay? Doctrine just means right belief. It just means having a right belief. And here's what's important about doctrine. Right belief always precedes right behaviors, right? We always want a religion to just go, tell me what to do. Just tell me how to behave. Tell me how to act. That's not it. We have to have right belief that precedes our right behavior. I like to say it this way. Doctrine or healthy doctrine precedes devotion. We want to grow in our devotion as followers of Jesus. We have to have some right beliefs as to who he was. In the virgin birth, the story of Jesus, it tells us the person of Jesus. It tells us who he was. It tells us that he was fully man and that he was fully God. Both at the same time, fully God and fully man. Let's, let's start by saying, how was he fully God? How do we see in this Christmas story that Jesus was fully God? Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, engaged, before they came together, before they were intimate, before they knew one another, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Conceived from the Holy Spirit. Scripture clearly asserts that Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary without a human father. A miraculous conception from the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20. It was confirmed by the angel of the Lord. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 25. Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to the son. There was no intimate relations between Joseph and Mary. It was, this, this baby would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And y'all, the biblical writers, they're judicious in their wording here. They're intentional in the way that they're writing this to maintain the doctrine of the incarnation, to maintain the fact that Jesus was fully God. He was Emmanuel, 
right? Which means what? God with us. He was fully God with us. He was not a mere baby. He was fully God in baby form. And we know that because he was conceived from the Holy Spirit. But secondly, he was also, another way of saying it is to know that, that Jesus was fully God because he was born to a virgin mother. Oxymoron, right? How, how is that possible? How could that be possible? Physically, Jesus is Mary's son, and Joseph was only Jesus' adopted father. We, we see this clearly. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Matthew's running through the genealogy of Christ, and he gets to the very end and says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Again, judicious, intentional in the wording. Hey, Jesus, I mean, Joseph, he's Mary's husband. Mary being the mother of Christ. Do you see that there? Every genealogy, when you look up through there, it doesn't say that kind of thing. It's intentional. Jesus was born to a virgin mother. But the question for us is, is like, Why? Have you ever went through the Christmas season and thought about the concept of the virgin birth and just go, why? Like, why would God do that? Because I, I believe that God is powerful enough and wise enough to be sitting in heaven with, with the Trinity, right? You got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I, I think he could just look at Jesus and go, hey, I just want you to jump down there. Beam down to earth, intact with your full divinity. Don't need to go through this birth stuff. Don't even need to go through this growing up stuff. Just show up at age 30 when you begin your public ministry and start performing your miracles. Could God have done that? Absolutely. But if he would have done that, just think logically for a second. We would probably have a hard time thinking that he is like us. right? We'd probably have a hard time thinking that he was fully man. Because he would be alien. He would be foreign. He would be directly other than us. Totally separate from us. That would have contradicted Jesus' humanity. But on the other hand, think about it this way. Couldn't have Jesus just been born just like you and I are born? With an earthly mother and an earthly father? And still be born with his full divinity intact? God's powerful enough for that. But if that were the case, logically, I think we'd go, how, do we, how could we believe he is truly God? Because his origin is just like ours. That would have contradicted his deity. The virgin birth, the doctrine of the incarnation makes possible the full unity of Jesus as divine and Jesus as mankind. Are you with me? But how does that play into hope? All right, so I've made the argument for the virgin birth and the doctrine of incarnation. How does that deliver hope? That God would be born demonstrates that salvation ultimately has to come from him. Are you with me? It demonstrates that salvation comes from the Lord alone. You and I cannot save ourselves, right? Can we all agree on that? We, we cannot save ourselves. Our sin has separated us from God, and there's nothing that you can do to be with God. You with me? So what does God do? He chooses to be with you. Only God can bring about salvation. God sent Emmanuel to achieve for you what you could never achieve for yourself. Salvation, y'all, it needed a divine solution, not a human solution. Are y'all not tired of, of applying human solutions to the problem of sin? We needed a divine solution. So God sent Jesus, who was fully God, to do that for us. That brings, that brings hope. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second. Secondly, though, I know we're, we're heady, right? Last week was so applicable. We're really trying to think this morning. Secondly, it brings hope that Jesus was fully God because it means he was perfect. He was sinless. The fact that Jesus did not have a human father means that original sin never applied to him. 
This is indicated by the angel Gabriel to Mary, Luke 1, verse 35. The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Therefore, because conceived with the Holy Spirit, the child to be born will be called holy. He wasn't born with a nature that was sinful. He was born holy. Only a sinless life. How how does that bring hope? Only a sinless life, only a perfect life, only a divine life could suffice as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. Are we aware of that? Let Let me share with you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The regular rhythm of Old Testament sacrifice were not, were not sufficient to, to, to heal us, to break the power of sin for us for all time. It required a perfect sacrifice. A lamb without blemish is what we read throughout the Old Testament. We needed a sinless substitute. Isn't that amazing? That God came through the virgin birth, fully intact with his full divinity. We can hope because he was fully God. But what about fully man? How can we hope that he, because he was fully man? Y'all, he came on Christmas morn, mid-September, right? Got to remember that, probably not December 25th, cooing, crying, screaming, needing things. Like, like it was a holy night, but let's not convince ourselves it would have been a silent night. How many parents are in the room? That, that doesn't exist. It wouldn't have happened. Jesus came just like we come into the world. He was fully man. And what that means is he possesses the full range of human characteristics, right? He was just like us physically. He had to grow physically. His his body grew tired. He experienced pain. He experienced thirst. He experienced hunger. He was a baby that needed to be fed, needed to be nursed, needed to be nurtured. He was just like us physically. It means that because he was fully man, he was just like us mentally. We read in Scripture that he increased in wisdom. They had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to memorize Scripture, how to be a carpenter. He was just like us mentally. Y'all, he was just like us emotionally. Read through the Gospels and see the emotional range of Christ. He, he grew sorrowful, troubled. He wept. He grieved. He laughed. He smiled. He was just like us emotionally. So, so how does that bring us hope? That Jesus was fully man, how does that bring us hope? It means that he is fully He is able to fully identify with you. It brings hope because Jesus is able to fully identify with you. Church, he not only empathizes with you, he can sympathize with you. We have a God that not just knows what we're struggling with, but knows about it and chooses to enter into that struggle with you. It is God with us. Jesus experienced grief. I know for a fact there are a lot of people in our church experiencing grief right now. That he is fully man means that he can enter into that grief with you. He experienced physical pain. Whatever diagnosis you just received, it means he can enter into that suffering with you. He experienced joy, right? Maybe you're going through a really good season. It means he can enter into that season of joy with you. That's the power of the incarnation. Let me say it this way. If you don't know Annie and I's story, we've lived all around the world. Okay, we've seen religions, we've seen, we've seen American religion, we've seen South Asian religion, we've seen all various religions. And every religion, including Christianity, magnifies the transcendence of God. Y'all know that word? That he is, he is other, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, right? He's, he's all-powerful. There's this otherness of God, this transcendence of God that is celebrated in every religion. You know what makes Christianity so distinct? 
that he is not only transcendent, but he chose to become intimate. That he chose to enter into our world and establish his nearness. This is Emmanuel. Because he was fully man, he can be with us. Let me say it another way. Because he's fully man, he can be our substitute. Right? If Jesus had not been a man, he could never have died in your place. In humankind's place. Hebrews 2 Verse 17, you may want to write that, that reference down and go back and read this one. Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Propitiation means substituted sacrifice. He had to be made like us. Listen to that scripture. He had to be made like us in every way so that his sacrifice would be an acceptable substitute for you, for me. Ultimately, hope is delivered in the person of Christ because as fully man, his substitution for you is accepted by God. Let me me keep breaking it down. The consequences of sin is what? Death. Death. We talk about it all the time. The consequence of our sin is death. That's what we deserve, to live a life far from God. Right For eternity, consequences of sin is death. That's what you and I deserve. Jesus, on the other hand, as fully God, was sinless, deserving life, deserving life with God for all of eternity. Here's where the exchange of the gospel takes place. As fully man, he was able to take what you deserve. And as fully God, he's able to give you what you don't deserve. Do you hear that? That's why the doctrine of the incarnation is so important. As fully man, he takes the penalty of your sin. As fully God, he gives you the righteousness of himself. It's a a beautiful picture of the gospel that gives us hope. It gives us hope that our salvation is sure because Jesus was fully God and Jesus was fully man. It's Emmanuel. Hope in the person of Christ, but also hope in the promises of God. Let's look at verse 22. Matthew writes, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. All of this. The fact that a Christ would come to earth is a promise found all throughout the Old Testament, right? In fact, that promise that a Christ would come, that promise is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Many scholars say this is the first gospel ever preached. God is talking to the serpent and says, you know, on your belly you will go. And he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. You'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. There's this promise that someone would come from the woman. Did you hear that? The seed of a woman. You'll never find that in Scripture. You'll never find that in any ancient text, only in Genesis chapter 3. Most scholars believe that points to the fact that there would be a virgin birth. Isn't that amazing? And that promise was that this son that would be born of this woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, crush the power of sin, and crush the power of death. The fact that Christ would be sent has been promised all the way since Genesis 3. Now, for about 20 years, embarrassed to admit this, I believe that Christ was Jesus' last name. Right? Anybody else? Come on now. Don't, don't leave, me, leave me hanking. Jesus Christ, son of Mary and Joseph Christ. You know, that's just what I thought. But Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. Christ means anointed one. It means a Messiah. It means Savior. The fact that a Savior would come had been promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. But, but Matthew says in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. All of this, not just that a Savior would come, 
but how the Savior would come. Even how the Savior would come would promise. So now I want you to flip back with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Ren and Taylor read that for us, and, and I told you at the very beginning, keep it marked, okay? Isaiah chapter 7, let's look at verse 10. Look at this promise of how this Savior would come, and then I'll unpack it a little bit in terms of its context. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What's going on here? Let's rise up and talk about our context a little bit. Isaiah 7 takes place at about 734 B.C. Do some math, okay? That's 700 years before the presumed birth of Christ. 700 years. What's happening in the context of Israel at this time is that the golden years of Israel have passed. The golden years meaning the time of David and the time of Solomon, where the kingdom of Israel was unified. They had peace, they had prosperity, but because of the idolatry, beginning really with Solomon and moving on through his descendant, God says, I'm going I'm I'm to break up the kingdom. I'm going to take it apart. So we have a northern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel. It had a capital in Samaria. Then we have a southern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Judah, which had its capital in Jerusalem. So a little bit of a Bible nugget for you. First Kings and Second Kings is all about the kings of those two kingdoms. And for the most part, there's a few outliers, for the most part, those kings were wicked, idolatrous men. In fact, what we read all throughout Kings is they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Ahaz was just, just like it. Ahaz is the king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, and he was a wicked man. 2 Kings chapter 16 talks about how wicked and idolatrous he was to the fact that he even sacrificed his son to a demon god called Molech. Wicked, idolatrous man. He's the king of Judah, and during this time of Isaiah chapter 7, the kingdom of Israel, their neighbors to the north, had formed a pact with some other nations and were coming against Judah in war. And Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says, don't worry. I don't want you to fear. God will fight for you. God will defend you. Put your hope, right? Put your confident expectation in God. But Ahaz wouldn't. Ahaz didn't want to hope in God. Ahaz didn't believe that God would come through. Ahaz wanted to put his hope in this foreign king of Assyria. And if you know anything about Bible knowledge, you know that actually led to the downfall of the kingdom of Judah. So God wants Ahaz to trust in him to the point where he says, Ahaz... I'm begging you to trust me. I'm even willing to give you a sign that I'm going to be with you. I'll give you a sign. Ask for a sign. It can be as anything as miraculous as you dream up. It can be as high as heaven or as deep as hell. Whatever you want to ask, ask for me. I'll give you a sign that you can put your hope in me. Ahaz rejects it. Evil, idolatrous man, it rejects it. So what does God do? He takes it upon himself and says, you know what? I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Here's the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I will still save my people. I will still deliver hope to our people. And what's that sign? A virgin will have a a son. His name will be Emmanuel. 730 years later, God fulfilled his promise. We can have hope because God always fulfills his promises. 
The story of Christmas, y'all, and we'll talk about this over the next several weeks, it's, it's littered with Old Testament prophecies coming to fruition. It's littered with promises of God that is fulfilled in the birth of Christ, that the Savior would be born of the line of David, that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, that he would arise out of Egypt, that a messenger would go before him. All of those were fulfilled in the birth of Christ. I just don't think there's one that reaches to the depths or the heights quite like the miraculous birth of Jesus through a virgin. It blows my mind. It's, it's the sign that is as high as heaven and as deep as Sheol. And when I read this, this promise of God, when I see this promise come to fruition in the virgin birth, there are two quick subpoints I want to make that I think are really applicable for us today. It hopefully would stir up hope in you today. The first is when we see this, when we see this, this virgin birth, we have to realize he fulfills his promises in unexpected ways, right? In unexpected ways. Who would have ever dreamed up that? Who would have ever thought that God would send the Savior? He would send himself the way he came through the Virgin Mary. The truth is, sometimes we have a hard time recognizing how God has fulfilled some of his promises, right? And we have a hard time imagining how will God fulfill his promises in the future. His activity, it seems so hidden. And we, we tend to, to be like that little boy when I was five or six, standing at that screen door, just, just looking. How is it going to come to fruition? How is this going to happen? And when we see the circumstances, we just don't see him. We don't see how it's happening. We strain, and, and that, that, that lack of hope, that deferred hope, it leads to doubt. It leads to despair. You know, this is why I think the Christmas story is so important. Although his reasons may elude you, his methods may surprise you, God always fulfills his promises. Always. It just may happen in unexpected ways. I was just preparing for that, and I was thinking about, I mean, if you read Scripture, just read cover to cover, you'll see this truth. God always fulfills His promises, but He does it in unexpected ways. It reminded me of the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? Sarah, long beyond the years of, of giving birth to a child, yet she had been promised that the heir, that a Savior would come through her lineage. That was the promise given to Sarah. We even see in Sarah's life that she began to doubt a little bit. She was looking through that screen door, beginning to laugh, beginning to get a little bit cynical, but then we see in Hebrews 11, verse 11, the writer of Hebrews says this, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered him faithful. Sarah, well beyond the years to conceive, right? Take away this candle. Bleak, dark, December solstice, right? In the darkest time of her life, even though she was beyond those years, she had hope because she considered that he was faithful. That's where our hope comes from. When we can come to believe that Jesus is faithful, and he is, he always fulfills his promises. He just does it in unexpected ways. All right, second quick subpoint. His promises will be understood in time, in, in his time, right? Unfortunately, not our time, in his time, 730 years. Could you imagine waiting like that? Well, I hope you can. That's what we're doing right now. We're waiting. We're waiting for his inevitable return. And just because he fulfilled his time in his, I mean, fulfilled his promise in his time the first time, he's going to do it the same. We're in the same boat. We're waiting 730 years, but y'all, we don't like waiting, do we? I blew a gasket internally. I kept it together externally. Just driving to Atlanta this week for Thanksgiving. Anybody been through McDonough? You know exactly what I'm talking about. It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. There's no wreck, but you're going to sit bumper to bumper for 30 to 45 minutes. And I'm watching the ETA on my Google Maps, and it's going up. You know the feeling? I'm just, just raging inside because I had to wait minutes. 
730 years, God fulfilled his promise. He always fulfills his promise, but he does it in his time. And we have difficulty understanding God's timing because we are time-bound beings. We cannot grasp his eternal purposes. And when we don't see his promises becoming a reality, right? We're standing at the screen door and we don't see it happening when we want it to happen. Our impatience leads us to doubt, leads us to despair, leads us to that hope being deferred. It's like that December solstice. But again, it's in that moment we turn to stories like the Christmas story and we see he's faithful. He always fulfills his promises. He just does it in his own time. Again, let me read about Abraham. Sarah considered him faithful. Paul had this to say about Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old when he received the promise of his son Isaac. 100 years is when it actually came to fruition. He had 25 years of waiting. Romans chapter 4, verse 18, Paul writes, In hope he believed against hope. I'll come back to that. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. That's the promise. But he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Hear this, church. This is for us this morning. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do all that he had promised. That's where we have to be, fully convinced that God is able to fulfill his promises in unexpected ways, in his timing, sure, but he will. He always fulfills his promises. So this Christmas, I challenge you, dig into God's word. Dig into the story of scripture and see that we serve a faithful God. He's absolutely faithful. He's utterly true, utterly trustworthy. He will never let you down. You can put your hope in him, hope delivered. Hope delivered in the person of Christ. Hope delivered in the promises of God. So let me conclude for us this morning. And I actually would love for our band just to go ahead and make your way up because I'm going to talk for a second. But we're about to sing our first Christmas carol of the year. I love Christmas music. Embarrassingly so. Listen to it long before November. Okay? Love Christmas music. And I guess one of the perks of being lead pastor, I get to choose the first one we sing. This song has been sung since the ninth century. Take that in. Just take in the fact that for for over a thousand years, believers have gathered together to sing the lyrics that we get to sing today. There's some power in that. It's the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I just want to read one of the verses for us and then pray for us as our team sings it. It says, O come, thou dayspring. Dayspring's a name for God. It's like a sunrise. It's like a a flicker of a candle. It's like when there's darkness and there's a peak of light. Come thou day spring from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. He came to us. He drew near to us. God with us. And what did he do? He disperses the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows he puts to flight. That's Emmanuel. So what's our response to that? Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so thankful for your word, for your wisdom. Lord, I just, I just confess, even in preparing this, this sermon, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I never would have drawn it up this way. But since the Garden of Eden, you had planned it so. You put that promise in there for us so that in, even we could have hope without hope. 
like when things don't look good, when our circumstances seem despairing, when our hope feels like it's going to be deferred, we can lean into you, we can stand on you, we can have a confident expectation that you're a God that fulfills his promises. And you did it in the person of Christ. He was fully God, he was fully man. I pray that that thought would linger with us this week and that it would lead, that, that doctrine would lead to deeper devotion. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.